Good morning. It's great to see you all here today. It's great for us to be able to gather and to worship our God. Our first song that we're going to be singing about is how holy and amazing our God is. And one of the things that we're going to be looking at today as we think about the passage that John's going to be teaching us from is how God always does what he says he's going to do. How we can rely on God in a way that we cannot rely on ourselves. So let's ask God to help us before we join in our first song. So let's pray. Oh Lord, as we come to you knowing how great you are, how good you are, and how you know everything, we know that as we come to you, we are not good, we are not great, we are not reliable, and we know so little. But we thank you that you tell us that if we ask, you are delighted to give. So we pray that you will give us your Holy Spirit, so our worship is acceptable to you now. Amen. So when the music starts, let's stand and sing, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty.
this morning we come to our, our next to last message on the life of Elisha that we've been tracking through these Sunday mornings. And we're turning to 2 Kings chapter 9. It's quite a big passage, so I'm going to read part of it and then Ed's going to read the second half of it. Um, a couple of things to say uh, first before we begin our reading. Um, the first is this, that if, if the Bible was given a film classification, it wouldn't be a U. In fact, uh, the next couple of chapters, it wouldn't be a, a PG or a 12. I guess it would be upwards of that. The, the reading is quite graphic. Uh, it's recording history, albeit rather gruesome history, but the Holy Spirit has seen fit to leave this for us to read and there are lessons to be learnt from it. We would find it would got even more graphic if we carried on to the end of chapter 9 and we read into chapter 10, which we will touch on parts of later on. So though I might like to spend uh, the services here week after week talking about the Good Samaritan and uh, the teaching of Jesus about love, if I did that week after week and nothing else, I would be a fraud and I would have to give account to God for the imbalance. So we try to cover the whole range of Bible teaching here. Um, the second thing to say is quite a lot happening in what we're looking at uh, this morning. It may be helpful to help you concentrate with the reading to look out for things which will help follow the thread. So here are five. An interrupted army meeting. Four-legged animals being gruesome. Carpeted steps. A mad driver. And the last verse telling us what it all happens in accordance with. So, an interrupted army meeting, four-legged animals being gruesome, carpeted steps, a mad driver, and what it all happens in accordance with. So, I'll read the first bit and then hand over to Ed. So, 2 Kings, chapter 9, page 315, I should have said, in the church Bibles. Then Elisha, the prophet, called one of the sons of the prophets and said to him, Tie up your garments and take this flask of oil in your hand and go to Ramoth-Gilead. And when you arrive, look there for Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, son of Nimshi. And go in, get him to rise from among his fellows and lead him to an inner chamber. Then take the flask of oil and pour it on his head and say, Thus says the Lord, I anoint you king over Israel. Then open the door and flee. Do not linger. So the young man, the servant of the prophet, went to Ramoth-Gilead. And when he came, beheld the commanders of the army were in council. And he said, I have a word for you, O commander. And Jehu said, To which of us all? And he said, To you, O commander. So he arose and went into the house, and the young man poured the oil on his head, saying to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anoint you king over the people of the Lord over Israel, and you shall strike down the house of Ahab your master, so that I may avenge on Jezebel the blood of my servants the prophets, and the blood of all the servants of the Lord. For the whole house of Ahab shall perish, 
and I will cut off from Ahab every male, bond or free in Israel. And I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah. And the dog shall eat Jezebel in the territory of Jezreel, and none shall bury her. Then he opened the door and fled. When Jehu came out to the servants of his master, they said to him, Is all well? Why did this mad fellow come to you? And he said to them, You know the fellow and his talk. And they said, That is not true. Tell us now. And he said, Thus and so he spoke to me, saying, Thus says the Lord, I anoint you king over Israel. Then in haste every man of them took his garments and put it under him on the bare steps and they blew the trumpet and proclaimed, Jehu is king. Continuing from verse 14. Thus Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, conspired against Joram. Now Joram with all Israel had been on guard at Ramoth-Gilead against Hazael, king of Syria. But King Joram had returned to be healed in Jezreel of the wounds that the Syrians had given him when he fought against Hazael, as king of Syria. So Jehu said, is this, If this is your decision, then let no one slip out of the city to go and tell the news in Jezreel. Then Jehu mounted his chariot and went to Jezreel, for Joram would lay there. And Ahaziah, king of Judah, came, had come down to visit Joram. Now the watchman was standing on the tower of Jezreel, and he saw the company of Jehu, and he said, came and said, I see a company. And Joram said, Take a horseman and send to meet them, and let him say, Is it peace? So a man on horseback went to meet him and said, Thus says the king, Is it peace? And Jehu said, What do you have to do with peace? Turn around and ride behind me. And the watchman reported, saying, The messenger reached him, but he is not coming back. They sent out a second horseman who came to them and said, Thus says the king, thus the king has said, Is it peace? And Jehu answered, What do you have to do with peace? Turn around and ride behind me. Again the watchman reported, He reached them, but he is not coming back. And the driving is like the driving of Jehu the son of Nimshi, for he drives furiously. Joram said, Make ready. And they made ready his chariot. Then Joram, king of Israel, and Ahaziah, king of Judah, set out each in his chariot, and went to meet Jehu, and met him at the property of Naboth, the Jezreelite. And when Joram saw Jehu, he said, Is it peace, Jehu? He answered, What peace can there be, as long as the whorings and the sorceries of your mother Jezebel were so many? Then Joram reigned about and fled, saying to Ahaziah, Treachery, O Ahaziah. And Jehu drew his bow with his full strength, and shot Joram between the shoulders, so that the arrow pierced his heart, and he sank in his chariot. Jehu said to Bidkar, his assistant, take him up and throw him in the plot of ground belonging to Naboth the Jezreelite. For remember, when you and I rode side by side behind Ahab his father, how the Lord made this pronouncement against him. As surely as I saw yesterday the blood of Naboth and the blood of his sons, declares the Lord, I will repay you on this plot of ground. Now therefore take him up and throw him on the plot of ground in accordance with the word of the Lord. Amen. Uh, a quick message for the ladies. You'll find an envelope inviting you to the ladies' retreat um, at the back. So uh, do take that, and I hope you're able to go. It's certainly true 
in this world as we look at it at the moment, there is lots that is going on that is wrong. That was true at the time of Ahab, at the time that we're reading about. And there are times that we're tempted to say, how long, God? How long will this last? When will you do something? And we sing that as we go through this song. But the last verse, can you just flick it up, Richard? Our second to last then. Oh. We're going to have to wait till we sing it. But he talks about the day is coming. The day is coming when the Lord will sort everything out. And a question that we must ask is, are we looking forward to that day? Is that a day that we are looking forward to and saying, come, Lord Jesus? Or are we too busy with what we're doing today to even think about that? So let's uh, join in singing this song when the music starts. Then after that, the, the children's talk, so if the children could come down the front and Martin will be speaking to them. So let's sing.
Well done. Well, good morning, children. Is there anything that you find hard or difficult? Perhaps you might not like to say. Is there anything you find hard or difficult? Tying up your shoelaces. Yeah, I used to struggle with that when I was younger too. Yeah, tying up your shoelaces. Anything else? Waiting. That is a good one. I struggle with waiting now. Really good. Yeah. Anything else? Playing the guitar. Well, you have to go and see Josh for some help then, won't you? Eh? Playing the guitar, yeah. We struggle with all kinds of things, isn't there? You know, I'm sure some of you here might struggle with maths. I'm sure some of you might struggle with English. We all struggle. I used to struggle with art. I was never any good at art, or English, actually. Okay? I wasn't any good at those. So what do you do when you're struggling with something, when you find something hard? What do you do? Practice, yeah, that's a really good thing. Yeah, practice is a good answer. Ask for help, yes, ask for help. And who might we ask for help if we're struggling with things? Katie? Pardon? God, yes, absolutely, we'd ask for God. Teacher, yeah, that's the one that I thought someone might say, teacher. If we're struggling with uh, maths or something, you can teach her. Mum or dad, yes, really good. So we ask someone who is bigger than us if we need help because something is heavy. We ask for someone who's clever than us, okay, if we're struggling with something at school, okay. We might ask for someone who's more powerful than us if someone is threatening us, okay. But tell me, Katie said we can ask God, and that's a really good thing, because if we're struggling with our maths, we can ask our teacher, and we can also ask God. Now, is anything too hard for God? What do we reckon? Eh? We all should have our hands up. Is anything too hard for God? What do you reckon? No. Is anything impossible with God? No. So nothing is too hard for God and nothing is impossible for God. Now, there are six verses in the Bible that tell us that. Okay? Two of them are linked to ladies who are going to have babies in very unusual circumstances. And I'm not going to talk to you about them, but you can talk to your mums and dads and perhaps come and tell me next week who they are. But... There's two other circumstances, and one is with the children of Israel. They were God's people in the Old Testament. Now, unfortunately, they had turned their back on God. They didn't listen to him. They didn't follow what he wanted, so God had to punish them. And he was going to send them out of Israel, away from the temple where God had his presence, away from the law. This was the very thing they thought made them the children of God. And he was going to destroy the lot. But... He told them what he was going to do beforehand. And they were scared. And they were frightened. And they didn't understand how this could happen. But God had two prophets. One called Isaiah and one called Jeremiah. And in Isaiah, God teaches them about himself using some of these. What are these? If someone hasn't answered yet, what are these? Scales, yes. So in Isaiah 40, we've got scales coming twice. Okay? Now, I wonder what God shows us with scales that nothing is too hard and nothing is impossible. So we're going to have a first picture come up. Now, there we have two pictures of two mountains. Would anyone like to guess what two mountains they are? I suspect that some of you will have climbed one of them, and I know that none of you would have climbed the other one. All right? Well done to you. The top one is Snowdon. Yes, 
got the Snowden. And the one underneath is nine times bigger. Okay? So that one's nine times bigger than Snowden. Mount Everest, yes. Okay? Now, in Isaiah 40, it tells us that God weighs the mountains on a set of scales. So if you've been seen the mountains, God can weigh the mountains on a set of scales. Now, would you say that's impossible? Yeah, I reckon so, but not with God. And there's another lesson from God, the next picture. Um, so what have got a picture there? Tell me what that one is. Lydia? A map of the world, all the countries. And God says, do you know what God says? He said they're like dust on a scale. So the, the, the nations are like dust on the scale. So, next time I go and weigh myself, I'm not doing it here. Okay. Next time I weigh myself, I'm going to move all the dust off just to make sure I'm a bit lighter. Okay? I'm going to clean it right off. Okay. Do you think that would make much difference? No. No, that's right. But with God, the nation... So there's a big country up there in green. What country is that? Russia, yeah. And Russia's in the news at the moment for doing some horrible things. But with God, if he wanted to, he could stop it just like that. Okay? Because it's nothing than a bit of dust on the scale. So he was teaching his children, the children of Israel, that actually, with him, nothing is impossible. And he will, when he's ready bringing them back from captivity, from exile. Now, his second prophet, Jeremiah, okay, he told him to do something as well. He said, I want you to go and buy a piece of land. Now, why would you buy a piece of land if a foreign army is going to come in and completely flatten Jerusalem, get rid of the temple? Why would you want someone to go and buy a bit of land? Would you do that with your money? No. But God told Jeremiah to go and do that. And Jeremiah, he prays this to God, and God answers him. So this is what Jeremiah prays. Would someone like to read out the prayer? So Isla, do you want to read out the prayer? And um, Jess, do you want to read out God's answer? So if you read out the first section, you read out the answer. So after Jeremiah's told to go and buy this piece of land, and Jeremiah's going, really? And he prays to God, and he says, nothing is too hard for you. And God answers him, and he says, I'm the Lord. I'm the God of everyone, okay? Is anything too hard for me? And the answer is no. Now there is one thing, thank you Richard, I'm going to move it on. There is one thing, okay, that is impossible for any of us. Now how many here have climbed Snowden? Brilliant. Yeah. How many here have climbed Everest? Okay. Now, people do climb Everest. Okay. It is possible for people to climb Everest if you're fit enough. Um, but with this thing, it's impossible for any of us to do it. It's impossible for the strongest person you know. It's impossible for the cleverest lady you know. It's impossible for anyone you can think of. And what might that be? Can anyone think what is impossible for everyone? Go and have a go, Flynn. Um, grain of sand, yeah, I think that's impossible. And counting every grain of sand, yeah, that would be very difficult. But it's having our sin forgiven. It's impossible, even if we counted every single grain of sand, that God 
We forgive us for our sin. And Jesus was talking to his disciples. And he was talking about a rich man. And he said it's hard for a rich man to enter into heaven. It's easier, and I didn't bring a needle because it's so tiny, for a camel to go through the eye. Do you know a needle where you thread? Well, I can't thread them anymore because my eyes aren't good enough. But you thread the thread, thread through the eye. Okay? It's easier for a camel to go through that. Now, would you say that's impossible? I'd say so, yeah. But then Jesus says, because the disciples said, well, who can go to heaven? Who can go to heaven? And he says, with man, things are impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And how is it possible to have our sins forgiven? How is it possible to have our sins forgiven? Well, because God has done it. God has made a way for us to have our sins, for us to be able to have our sins forgiven, and that's through the Lord Jesus. So, when things are tough, when things are hard, ask your teacher and pray to God at the same time for help. But when it comes to your sins being forgiven, come to God and ask him to forgive them because only he can do the impossible. Well, thank you for listening so well. Thank you, Martin. And that's a, a very good reminder that as we come to pray, we're praying to the God who really can do anything. Today we're going to be um, praying for Dan and Diane Martin, and I thought I'd better explain their situation, because I know some of you know it really well, but others of you will be scratching their heads because they, you don't know who Dan and da- Diane are. So, Several years ago, uh, Dan left this church here to go and work in London with the London City Mission, um, doing what he's really gifted at um, and loves doing, which was evangelism. Going door to door, knocking on people's doors and telling them about Jesus. Now, the organisation he's been working with has changed their approach and they've wanted their workers, rather than being people who do to be people who teach others how to do it. And that really isn't what Dan was particularly gifted at. So after a a number of years, a good number of years, he's stopped with them, and he's been involved in the church in London, in Dagenham, I think it's for over ten years now, and he's moving with his family um, to a completely new place, a completely new job, uh, and uh, he has a level of disappointment because he's, he's enjoyed serving the Lord and now it's, well, what's next? So that's why we'll be praying for him. So let's pray. Oh Lord our God, we thank you that even though we're weak and small and sinful, you call us to come to you. We thank you that because of Jesus, every one of your children can come to you as our Father in heaven. And we thank you that we've already been thinking that there will be a day when your kingdom comes. When everything is put right in this world. And Lord, we do thank you that the good news about Jesus, the good news of being right with you, that you have paid the price to make the relationship with you 
completely right for everyone who trusts you is being spread across this world. Oh Lord, we we do pray for those we know and love who are doing that in Papua New Guinea. Those who are doing it in Cyprus and in Africa at the moment. Lord, we thank you for news how your church in Iran, a country famous for persecuting Christians, is growing and the love of the people there for you is growing more and more. And we thank you for Dan and Diane and the work that they've been doing in London. And we pray, Lord, that you will be with them. We pray that they will be able to be confident in you, knowing that as they move to this new place, this new chapter in in their life, that you love them and that you've got work for them to do there. Lord, we pray that you will help them to be a light in the new place that they go to live. Oh Lord, we thank you that the summertime is a time where many young people are told about you in camps and holidays and things like that. We thank you for the Christians who serve in bringing the good news into the lives of so many. And Lord, we pray that this will be a good summer. We pray that your truth will be powerfully spoken about. We pray that young people will turn from their selfish occupation with themselves to want to serve and follow you. Oh Lord, we thank you that we look forward to our own young people's holiday and we look forward to camp happening shortly after that. We thank you that you have heard our prayers for those holidays in the past. Oh Lord, we pray that you will use it to revive the love and joy for you that Christians have. And to turn those who don't know you back to you. And Lord, as we pray for this year, we pray for last year, we pray for the years that have gone by. And we pray especially for those who have heard about you, but are still without God and without hope in this world. Oh Lord, we pray that you will speak to them And turn them back to you. That you will bring them to know and love Jesus. So that when you come again, they will be ready. Oh Lord, we we ask that you will hear our prayers. Oh Lord, we pray for our country. Most of all, we pray that there will be a greater sense of you. Oh Lord, we feel that as a nation we have been very foolish. We have faced illness and we have not turned to you. We have applauded lies and turned from things that are true to things that are false. We ask, Lord, that those of us who know you will speak the truth. Speak the truth in a loving way. And we ask, Lord, that you'll open people's ears. Oh, Lord, we pray that you will give us good leaders. Oh, Lord, we thank you for those who work hard in government. But we we pray 
especially at the moment, that there will be people of honesty, people of truth, who are chosen to lead us. Lord, we we don't deserve that, but we ask that in your mercy that you will give us people of honesty, people of truth, and that your values will be more known in our country. Lord, you know us, and you know each of us as individuals. You know what our needs are. Oh, Lord, we, we bring them to you for ourselves. Oh, Lord, we, we pray for those who mourn. We ask that they will know your peace. Oh, we pray for the people of Ukraine as... The war there still goes on. Oh Lord, we pray for peace there. We pray for justice. We pray that the evil will stop. And as we look around our world, we see so much evil. We see the strong oppressing the weak. We see people who love you being put in prison simply because they love you. We see lives extinguished. We see that being celebrated as something that's good and great and right. And we cry out, how long? Oh Lord, we pray that you will have mercy. And then as we look nearer to home, Lord, we have struggles. And we've just been reminded in the children's talk There is nothing that is too hard for you. So, Lord, as some of us go to work on Monday and others have challenges in our families and others have an overwhelming weight of loneliness, we cast our cares on you, Lord. And, Lord, we pray that we will know your help and we will know that you love us And that you're in control. Whatever happens. Lord, we know you don't measure time in a way that we do. We find it really hard to be patient. We ask that you will help us to remember that a day is coming. When you will come and put everything right. Oh Lord, we pray that the thing that we'll be living for is to know your smile. To know that what we've done here through your strength has been what you wanted us to do. So Lord, we, we do pray for that. And we thank you, Lord, that you have given us your word. We thank you that your word is completely reliable. And we pray, Lord, that you will help John as he explains it to us and that what we hear will change our lives, that we will have a greater picture, a greater confidence in the God who is in control. So be with us, we pray. Oh Lord, we ask that you will forgive our selfishness, forgive the way that so often we don't look for our satisfaction in you. 
and help us to have ears to hear your voice. Amen. So we're going to sing again before John speaks to us. And we're going to sing about the love that God showed us in sending Jesus to pay the price for our sin. So when the music starts, let's stand and sing.
Well, we're in 2 Kings 9, a little bit of 10 as well, page 315. Um, I'm going to introduce what's happening, see it in the big picture. I'm going to go through uh, the account that we read, and I'm going to draw out some lessons. There's lots happening this morning, I think your minds will be buzzing. I hope they won't be overloaded. Start with this. Is justice a good thing? Is justice a good thing? And the answer is, yes, justice is good. Justice is good. Although we find it hard when it catches up with us. So if I break into your house and I run off with your new laptop and your jewellery box and I trash your house as I do so, I may not enjoy being caught by the police, uh, being before the courts, being fined or going to prison, whatever is the penalty, but you can think that's good. It ought to happen. It's right. I shouldn't get away with it. Why should I flog your laptop and your silver and go on a nice holiday while you have lots of inconvenience and grieve the loss of your grandma's engagement ring. Justice is good, but it's not nice for those it comes on. And there's a lot about justice going on here in our chapter and these chapters. The king and his people have turned their backs on God. And God has appointed three instruments of justice three bailiffs, three executioners, you might say. There is Elisha himself. There is another one who was introduced last week, who was Haziel, king of Syria, who would create havoc for Israel in coming years. But there is one missing member of the trio, a missing piece in the puzzle, 1 Kings 19 has been quite a bearing on what happens, what God says there to Elijah. Listen for the missing person anticipated. Verse 16, And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. Verse 17, And the one who escapes from the sword of Haziel shall Jehu put to death, and the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Jehu. And it is Jehu who is appointed here in our verses, the missing piece of this sort of triplet of God's judgment. Jehu has a specific role. He would be God's executioner, but particularly of the king's family, of the king who had led them astray. So this isn't good news for the king's family, but it's good news for justice, and it's good news for Israel. In fact, when this little announcement, which has given us this bearing in 1 Kings 19, is made about this triple squad, if you like, it's actually given to Elijah, Elisha's predecessor, as a word of reassurance. 
because so much seems to be going wrong, so much seems to be going against God, and God comforts Elijah with news of these three developments. So Ahab and his wife Jezebel had treated God's prophets so bad, they'd massacred prophets, a lot of innocent blood had been shed, they had sacrificed children, they had dethroned God who was their maker, their provider, their lawgiver, their judge. And to cap it all, they had killed poor Naboth, this individual, and his family just to get his vineyard to satisfy their need for a nice little fruit garden. They had multiplied evils in the land and done tremendous damage. And God says, justice will be done. So justice is a good thing. We are wanting justice, we're going to see justice. But uh, another introductory thought is this, that justice is delayed. Justice is delayed, it often is delayed. You think of the, the, Grenfell, tower, the Grenfell Tower and the inquiries going on and people there, they're grieving, wanting justice, wanting companies to be called to account for that tragedy. You saw it in the Hillsborough News over many years. Uh, even in the last, in recent decades, we've had people guilty of Nazi atrocities being caught to justice. So many years later, sometimes justice is delayed. And here, justice has been a long time coming. Years have gone by. God has shown great mercy and kindness. We've seen that in recent weeks as we've gone through the life of Elisha. But what God says happens. And now it is here. It's rather dramatic. It's rather gory in places. But justice is here at last. (coughs) Now, moving on to our accounts of this morning. The trigger is Elisha. We're doing the life of Elisha. In fact, he only gets a mention in our first verse, but he's the catalyst for all that happens. And Elisha here gives one of the sons of prophets a task to do. He tells him, in effect, to put on his running shoes and to grab a flask and to head to the military conference at Ramoth-Gilead. The young man heads off. It's not a flask of coffee that he's got, it's a flask of oil, olive oil, for a special purpose. When he arrives, the the commanders are having their planning meeting and it has to stop for a moment because the prophet wants a word, not with all of them, but just with Jehu, the commander. And he takes him into a side room. You remember... If you've heard bits about the Queen's anointing during the Platinum Jubilee back to her coronation, it's done in secret. Something similar going on here. Oil is poured over the head of the commander Jehu. And some very significant words are said. Notice what God is doing in all this as I read to you again what's said by that prophet to Jehu in Verse 6. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anoint you king over the people of the Lord over Israel, and you shall strike down the house of Ahab, your master, so that I may avenge on Jezebel 
the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the servants of the Lord. For the whole house of Ahab shall perish, and I will cut off from Ahab every male, bond or free in Israel. And I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah, dynasties that had finished. And the dog shall eat Jezebel in the territory of Jezreel, and none shall bury her. The prophet has done his deed, and he heads off quickly without so much as a goodbye. Well, when Jehu comes back into the the main room, you can imagine there's a lot of curiosity and intrigue. Are you okay, Jehu? What's all that about? And Jehu tries to palm it off and he says, well, you know, this madman and his talk, but uh, they won't wear it. After all, Jehu is dripping with oil and he's not been in a shower room. Come on, let's have the facts, Jehu. And Jehu summarises it in verse 12. And he said, Thus and so he spoke to me, saying, Thus says the Lord, I anoint you king over Israel. Then those around him stir into action. They lay their coats down on the steps. There is the sound of brass and Jehu is declared king. After so much delay, after so many years, it all seems now to pick up and happen at such a fast pace. Elisha's word is a catalyst for action and things happening. And Jehu then has four missions of justice which are carried out in chapters 9 and 10. We only have time really to look at two of them properly and even the second one of that's quickly in chapter 9. But there are four altogether. First, he is asked to take out the king. The king, Jehoram, Joram for short, is at Jezreel. And Jehu, the newly declared king, heads for him at Jezreel. A lookout in the tower sees somebody coming. Um, uh, the, 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 The king, Jehoram, is a little bit concerned about what's happening. He sends out somebody to intercept. And to the king's alarm, as they look out, the rider who goes out and speaks to Jehu coming in doesn't really confront him or stop him. He just joins the pack and comes nearer. So a second man is sent out and he goes out and the same thing happens. Instead of stopping or confronting, he joins the pack of Jehu. Well, people have different driving styles, don't they? Some are tentative and uh, some are cautious. Others are aggressive and ferocious. I'm not sure which one you would be in. I guess you prefer to travel with somebody who's a little bit more cautious and tentative. Well, Jehu is certainly the second sort. And as the lookout looks, he says, just a minute. There's only one person who drives like this. Verse 20. He reached him, but he's not coming back and the driving is like the driving of Jehu, the son of Nimshi, for he drives furiously. There's our mad driver in the reading. So now Joram, the king, goes out to meet Jehu. 
And Joram wants peace. But this is Jehu's answer, verse 22. What peace can there be so long as the whorings and sorceries of your mother Jezebel are so many? There's idolatry and there's witchcraft. How can I come in peace? The king then takes an arrow in the heart. And Ahab's son Joram is gone. And it all happens on the area of ground that Ahab nicked from that fellow Naboth, his vineyard, just as an earlier prophet said it would. Jehu is soon on to his second mission. His second mission involves Jezebel. Jezebel has been the main instigator of the downfall of Israel. Her husband, Ahab, had died by now, but she lived on encouraging the reign of evil and terror. And she is at Jezreel and she is upstairs. She is making herself up good and proper. I guess the the ancient equivalents of mascara and lipstick did rather a good trade in Jezebel's area. Outwardly attractive and enticing, inwardly ugly and damaging. Jehu gets there and he wants the servants up the tower to throw her down from the window. They oblige. She's not a pretty sight any longer. Jehu and his men decide that it's time for lunch. And by the time they've come out from their meal, the dogs have dispensed with Jezebel. And even though she has royal links, she can't have a dignified burial. How come all this has happened? Jehu himself realises, verse 36, this is the word of the Lord, which he spoke by his servant Elijah the Tishbite. In the territory of Jezreel, the dog shall eat the flesh of Jezebel. Joram is dealt with. Jezebel is dealt with. Then in chapter 10, we have the third mission, which is to Ahab's sons, the members of his family, and they are dealt with. And then we also go on to his fourth mission, which is Baal's servants, and they are dealt with. Now, Jehu is an impulsive action man. In fact, in the prophet Hosea, you get the impression that maybe some of his actions have gone too far. But nevertheless, for his wrongs and his rights, he is working out the just purpose of God. He's fulfilling God's word. Chapter 10 and verse 10 summarises a lot. Know then therefore there shall fall to the earth nothing of the word of the Lord which the Lord spoke concerning the house of Ahab for the Lord has done what he said by his servant Elijah. So justice is catching up with Ahab's family. You can't turn against God. You can't ruin a nation without expecting some comeuppance. 
So, feel a sense of few. We, we've read the events. We thought about these missions of Jehu that God had given him. It's a bit graphic. I've spared some of the details, knowing that children are here present this morning. An interrupted military meeting, carpeted steps, a mad driver, four-legged animals doing unsavoury things, a lady with makeup who makes a quick descent. Justice has arrived. Justice at last for Ahab and his family. But once we sort of recover a bit, if you like, from the shock of uh, the events that we've thought about, and when we rise realising the Old Testament situation is a specific situation in the way which God was dealing with nations and individuals then, what are we to learn from these accounts that we've looked at? I would say we've got three lessons. We're going on to a second slide today. God's justice is carried out in line with his word. God's justice is carried out as he said. God said justice would be done and these things happen and we keep being told according to the word of the Lord. According to the word of the Lord. According to the word of the Lord. Justice happens in line with God's word. And we learnt last week that there is a day fixed ahead of us all, Acts 17.31, because he has fixed a day which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he's appointed and of this he has given reassurance by raising him from the dead. God's anointed person will be judge and God has fixed a day ahead of us. And it seems sometimes, doesn't it, a long time coming. In 2 Peter chapter 3, you get that sense as well. People are sceptical of really will there be a judgment at the end from God because it's just taken so long. They treat it as a bit of a joke because it never seems to arrive. And Peter says that as in the time of the great flood of Noah, which took a long time coming, but was promised, occurred, so it will happen. 2 Peter 3 and verse 7. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. God's justice will be carried out in line with his word. And it's good for us to settle our minds realising that fact. It's good for us to get past the scepticism because of the delay and realise that what God says happens and there is a day fixed ahead of all of us. God's justice is carried out in line with his word. That's one of the things we take away from these accounts involving Elisha and Jehu. But the second point I want to make is this. 
God's justice is carried out and that's good news. God's justice is carried out and that's good news. Justice was calling out to be done. Ahab couldn't get away with it. Jezebel couldn't ruin a nation. Justice was calling out to be done then. And today, often there are massive injustices. There are people badly treated. There are people wrongly accused. There are people literally getting away with murder. And God will right all the wrongs. And the judgment day is good news from that point of view. Justice will be done. And that is something to be pleased about. Uh, Believing people who are treated sometimes so viciously and treacherously by others in other countries and heaven looking on really longs for that to be settled. Revelation 6, 9 to 10. When I opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O Sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? There there is good news in justice being done. We see that in Ahab. We see it there pointed forward to in the book of Revelation. But there's another point I want to come on to. God's justice is carried out and that's a call to change. Because as God's justice is at one level good news, there is also a sense in which it is alarming. Because we too have ignored our creator. We have pushed him off the throne We have harmed loved ones on the altar of selfishness. We have greedily taken our Naboth's vineyards. And the Bible makes clear that judgment is ahead for us because of what we've done wrong. Episodes like this just underline God's justice. And the place where God's justice is carried out is a place called hell, as you know. I heard this week of a, of a university student paper which was causing a lot of furore because the Christian Union were doing a talk on, on hell and they thought it was outrageous, frightening people. And somebody who was doing a PhD in physics department wrote to the student paper and says, in the corner of our lab we have a warning sign on a unit which says 450 volts, danger of death. He says, as far as I can tell, nobody has complained about that notice. That's not scaremongering. We do need to hear about God's judgment. But in our alarm, we can find salvation. God has acted to provide a way of salvation. 
We read about it in Romans 3, 25 to 26. You've got justice here. God put forward his son as a propitiation to take the anger by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Those who turn and put their trust in Jesus and what he did on the cross are safe as they face the day of judgment. Hell will not be their future because Jesus has taken it instead. And God's delay is giving us room to repent. So if I carry on in 2 Peter 3 and go to verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slow to fulfil his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Notice this. In at least three of the four missions of Jehu, people switch sides. They switch the side to joy in the side of God's anointed, the judge, the saviour. Two of the riders join the pack. Jezebel's member of staff up the top side with Jehu. If we're going to the next chapter, citizens get the chance to turn against Ahab's sons and side with Jehu. A changing of signs to be on the side of God's anointed. And God gives this time of delayed justice for us as a time for us to change sides, to be on the side of God's anointed, to put our trust in Jesus who went to the cross to take the punishment instead. So, is today's message has been all over the place, maybe you feel, more than you can cope with, maybe. done my best to try and explain the setting and show the thrust of it. But let's just finish on this point. Is it time for you to change sides? Is it time for you to find safety? Is it time for you to put your trust in Christ? Let's sing, shall we, our last song, which is a song which um, points us to the cross and reminds us of what God has done so that we might find a way of safety in the face of judgment. I think, is it the next verse? Sorry to keep you busy, Richard, today, but yeah. No, no, that's good. This, the power of the cross, Christ became sin for us took the blame, bore the wrath, we stand forgiven at the cross. That's where our hope is, that's where we need to change sides to. Thank you.
recognise you as a God who keeps his word. We recognise you as a God of righteous justice. And we recognise you as a God of grace who's made a wonderful way of salvation through the provision of his own Son to bear our wrath. Help us, Lord, to be on the side of Christ, we pray. Amen.